cloth Y'all would get ripped apart You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark We dropping nuggets like Carmelo with the Rucker Bar Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate I put my eggs in a basket, took a leap of faith I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring Matt Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode number 175 of the Decoding Success Podcast, and you are rocking with your host, Matt Labrie, as we are officially capping off an amazing month of highlighting and amplifying the message of such mountain-moving, monumental, inspiring women that have just continuously trailblazed, whether it's the first ever female coach in the NFL, Dr. Jen Welter, who blessed the show in the beginning of this month, whether it was my mom. My mom hopped on the show for a rapid-fire Q&A to discuss what it was like losing her mother at a young age and battling cancer and scaling the corporate ladder. Then we had my coach, Carla Royal, on the show, another amazing woman who has drastically not only improved my life, but the lives of so many people that she works with day in and day out. And you want to know what? Not only has she shifted my mindset for me, but she's also done it for this community because she helped me step into the role of an individual that can better serve each and every one of you that tune into this show. And today we are joined by an Olympic medalist, a record setter, someone that has maybe seen a low point in their life, but has totally bounced back. And we absolutely love amplifying stories just like that. So today we are joined by our friend Dotsie Bausch. Now, after concluding a prolific professional cycling career that produced a medal at the 2012 London Olympic Games, eight U.S. national championships, two Pan American gold medals, and a world record. Dotsie has become a powerful influencer for plant-based eating for athletes and non-athletes alike. She has been named by Vague News in 2019 as one of the top 20 most influential vegans in the world as she utilizes her degree in plant-based nutrition to inform her impassioned messages as an advocate on behalf of humans, planet Earth, and animals. And we're diving into all of that amazing stuff today. Now, long before embodying radiant health and becoming an influential game changer, Dotsie struggled for years with severe eating disorders and a recreational drug habit that combined led to a suicide attempt. It was during her recovery that she discovered her gift and love for the bike. Now, Dotsie speaks passionately around the world, spreading her message about the numerous benefits, humane, nutritional, and environmental of plant-based eating. Her popular TED Talk has garnered over 275,000 views and has been a catalyst of change for thousands of people. And she's bringing all of that wisdom, all of her experiences in full transparency out here on this show, on this episode today. So first and foremost, or I should say, just generally, welcome to the show. We are so excited to have you here for this episode. As always, I have to urge you, I have to ask you, this is a totally free show. I'm not sending you an invoice for listening to this, but it would mean the absolute world to us if you could do two things. Number one, share it with the people in your circle because the more we're able to make an impact together, the more this community grows and it is just so good for the world to be able to hear messages like this one here. Whether you're sharing it on social media and if you do so make sure you tag us so we can reach out and express our gratitude whether you're sending it in your group chats or on email threads or however you're doing it maybe you're listening it 
in, in a car, right? Maybe you're listening to it in a car with a group of people. Whatever the case is, we really, really appreciate that. And secondly, something I haven't asked in so freaking long is to leave a rating and review. Our audience is continuously growing and we would love to hear your genuine, honest feedback. I'm not asking you for five stars. I would never do that, but I would be so happy to hear from you and let us know what you think of this show, how we can improve it, what you love about it, what you don't love about it, and everything in between. So now without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Dotsie Bausch. Dotsie, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you and to decode your success. So thank you for joining us today. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Of I'm course. glad you're safe and sound in, in New York. No more snowstorms for uh, this year anyway, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no more snowstorms, that is for sure. Hopefully. Let, let, let's just pray. Uh, first question for you straight off the bat is how do you yeah. personally define success? Now, I know that sounds like a really large question to start the show with, but that's how we kick it off. And I think it sets a great tone. So I'm curious, how are you defining success? That is a very large question that could be broken down into multiple mini, mini bits, right? Um, gosh, because it's also something that I think really means something different to each person, right? So I can do it for me. I, don't, I, don't, I would never say that, that my definition uh, transfers over to everyone or even anyone. I don't know. You know, it depends on the importance uh, in their heart and their soul and, you know, what they're driven to um, do in this world. But for me, I have found um, the, the most worth mm. uh, in, in my space I'm taking up here on planet Earth when I'm fighting for something I deeply believe in. So I, I'm an activist at heart. I, I think I always have been, uh, even from the time I was born when I was a little girl, but, um, I'm, it's, it's really coming into fruition here in my forties, the, the activist side of me, this is when I'm spending, uh, almost every waking moment of every day, um, fighting, fighting for the voiceless, uh, and you know, those, those ghosts in our machine behind what, um, you know, happens to animals in our food system. So it feels, I feel a sense of duty to do the work I do. And I feel a real sense of success, if you will, at the end of every day, if I've given everything I have to that, to that cause. Um, Love that. Yeah. That's incredible. So a couple questions around that. Um, you said that you've been an activist fighting for something since a very young age. What was the first thing you fought for that you were, that you recall? Um, I, well, I've always, it's, it's, it's always, I think almost along the, the way, almost has always included animals. Um, but uh, fighting for uh, better conditions for my horses, fighting for and this is with my parents I'm fighting with, right? right? So when I'm little, like fighting for the right conditions for my hamsters and my rabbits and, uh, and you know, because dad built them a big hutch, but I thought it needed to be bigger. So I was always just fighting that, that they had as much space as they needed. Like we have as much space as we need. And, and, and you know, probably doing anthropomorphizing a ton in my, in my early years of fighting uh, for animals. But um, so that's the, that's, those are some of the, the, the very first memories. Uh, but as, as I went along into high school, I was, I grew up in, uh, in Kentucky. So the South or the Midwest, depending on how you look at it. But, uh, and my high school was uh, segregated. 
uh, which is, uh, it's, it's a bit wild to say now, I mean, for a few reasons, right. One is that just, it's like how it, it just, I don't feel that old. So it's like, God, wow, that's just, you know, it's not that long ago. And then, of course, what the world has experienced over the last year, um, and, and, and rightfully so, just such a huge dramatic shift and freaking awareness, finally, for, you know, white people to wake the hell up. Uh, it, it's sad that it was just that short of a period of time ago. And it makes me, it reminds me um, that this is certainly not a new topic. Um, yeah. what were, but I remember fighting for my, uh, my friends that were black. Um, there were females, uh, two of them, uh, running for, uh, student council. Mm, that's incredible. So, um, well, you know, I don't, it, it didn't feel, I, I don't know when you're younger, Right. You know, you just don't. Yeah. You don't see all the things that we are aware that we maybe subconsciously see as maybe as more adults. Like I, I just didn't didn't see any difference when I was little. I still don't. But I'm also aware of um, my whiteness and my white privilege. And, you know, sure. So. <clears throat> yeah, I totally get that. I think what's so incredible about that is the fact that you were doing that at such a young age, like. What was it that, and you almost beat you, well, you did beat me to one of the questions I ask. So I always ask who is XYZ in high school. You've already beat me to that. Um, clearly mm-hmm. you've given us a pretty good example, but I guess like, what was it that gave you the courage to stand up, right? Because you are going up against the green at that point, you know, and, and even still today, there there is still a green there that people go up against. And it's just really incredible to hear that someone at such a young age, like how old are we in high school? Anywhere from like 13 to yeah. 17, right? Something like that. Like you were doing it at such a young age. What made you stand up? Yeah. Well, I mean, it would, it would be lovely to label it as, as courage, but I, I don't, I don't know that it was really, it was just a, a, a clarity that I just had from forever, that as long as I can remember, um, that if something isn't right, you say something, if something isn't, you know, just, you say something, if something doesn't seem fair, you say something. Mm. I just, I don't know if it's, I mean, I had great parents that, you know, taught me those values, but I, I even remember it even before I think them really harping that into me, right. From little tiny uh, with, um, the, the animals, like I never wanted to flush my fish down the toilet when they died, you know, it was like, no, 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 no. So we, I mean, when we sold our house, when I lived when I was a little girl, there was a graveyard in the back. I mean, quite literally, there's probably 60 beings. Cause I would never let, I didn't want any, even the little hamster babies that were born, like stillborn, you know, they're, <laughs> they're smaller than fish. And, you know, we had, it was just, this is what this, their life mattered. This is right. This is, this is fair. This is what we would do for anyone we loved, any being we loved. So it just, I don't know where it came from. You know, it just, it just was, it was just embedded. So I don't think it was really courage. It was just, uh, it just was. And I would see things that didn't make sense or didn't seem right. And it seemed like, why not say something? I mean, it never got me in too much trouble there in the beginning. So (laughs) it is now, but. (laughs) Right, right. No, I get it. I love that. I absolutely love it. It's just who you are. That's incredible. So I guess another question I have for you is, were there any, and I, I mean, you said that you've been doing this for so long. Like my, my question wants to come out as, were there any monumental events or people that have kind of shaped 
how you're defining success today, but you've pretty much said that you've defined mm. success the same way for almost ever. So was it your parents or just your general upbringing? Yeah, well, I definitely grew up with a grandmother and mother that, you know, always told me that I could do anything I set my my heart on. And the interesting thing is, is I, I, I believed her. And I say that's interesting because my sister and I grew up in the same household. She is seven years younger, but we grew up in the same household with the same mom. Obviously, well, not obviously, we did. Uh, could Not necessarily obvious. Um, and my mom told her the same thing, but she didn't believe her. Mm. my sister and I have had some interesting conversations about this over the last year or so. Uh, and so my sister has, you know, I guess almost spent a lot of her time on this planet, especially in, you know, work atmosphere, sort of trying to prove that, mm. you know, cause she didn't, she was, you know, she, like we all, a lot of us like, Oh, well, okay. That's my mom. Of course she's going to say that. Right. Yeah. I can do whatever I want is I think that's more how my sister took it. And for some reason, I just took it as, you know, my mom knows everything. And it, I mean, I was kind of like that as a teenager, never the teenager that was like, my parents are stupid and I don't want to hang out with them. I just, I, don't, I just thought they were pretty awesome and we hung out a lot. And so I just, I, I genuinely, genuinely believed her. And, and, you know, like I was the only kid that, you know, a parent ever said that too. I realized okay. some are not lucky to be able to be told that, but um, I just, it was so uh, it hit me so deep into my core and I just believed her. And so I just kind of, that's just how life unfolded. It was like, you know, if I'm going to stand up for something, I can do anything. I set my heart to mom said so you know, I love that. proliferated throughout. So what was it that made you believe? Have you ever thought about that? Like, was it just because your mom, you, you know, you just alluded to that. You thought your mom knew everything. And yeah. like, was that what made you buy into that? Cause that's incredible. I know there's this periods of time in our life, right, where we look back and it's like, what, what, you know, why did I believe and why did my sister not believe or why did I choose not to believe or something? And, uh, you know, the, the longer, you know, I live on this planet, the more I recognize there's just, um, you know, we have hard wiring and we have soft wiring, right? And our mm. hard wiring is more of our genetics and our, you know, just kind of like what's built in when we come out of the womb, like it's just sure. in there. Soft wiring is what we learn along the way. And I think I was just, um, yeah, for whatever reason, there was just a hard wiring of like, oh, she said that and I believed it. And then that's how I, you know, went forward. I, there wasn't any, there's no real reason that I was like, oh, I believed it because it's like, I just did. She just told me it. And I thought she would not lie to me. Mm. I love that. That's so amazing. I appreciate you sharing that. I really, really appreciate that. And, oh, yeah. you know, being able to amplify, it's incredible. So uh, I do want to get back to high school, Dotsie. I think that's definitely somewhere where I would like to start here. What was the dream back then? Like, you know, you, you were doing, you were, you were fighting for people, you were fighting for your animals, you were doing all these amazing things. Like, what was your dream? What did you want to do at that point in your life? Uh, well, when I was pretty young up until about 11, I wanted to be a jockey. So I said, I grew up in Kentucky. My grandfather and my Love uncle it. were thoroughbred, um, horse race owners and trainers. Um, now I shudder at the thoroughbred industry, but, uh, that's, that was the case. Uh, and I loved horses. I loved riding. I rode saddlebreds and I, I was desperate to be a jockey, but I just kept growing and I was way too tall, even at 11 to even <laughs> like definitely not going to make it as a jockey as an adult. Cause I kept growing. Uh, so that just, I saw that, uh, just kind of disappear right in front of me. 
So that dream had to go goodbye. And then it was, you know, all the way till college when I thought really thought that I wanted to be a hard news journalist. Um, yeah, that was, that was the next like real dream. And I, studied that. And that was my major journalism and communications. And, uh, I did a internship at a, um, station down in Philadelphia where I, where I went to college at Villanova and I absolutely hated it. And I I thought it, it, it was just such a, such a revelation, the real practice of something versus your idea of the practice of something. Um, Mm. What I had had in my head about hard news journalism was just, just that it was just full frontal truth, right? Like it, you could expose anything you wanted, however, whenever, like it was really, it was gritty and it was real and it was bringing the truth to the people. Once I got into the internship, uh, I quickly realized how controlled our news is and uh, how much big business and the government plays a role in uh, what is shared with the public. And I was an intern, so it's not like I was, you know, privy to all the, you know, real big secret meetings. But I just knew that we would have a great story, a great possible story, and we'd kind of be following it. And then next thing I knew, I'd come back the next day and they had had meetings and we weren't doing that story anymore. Mm-hmm. I just knew that things just kind of get, kept getting sort of shoved under the rug or sidelined or, uh, and it was just, it, it didn't take me long to recognize like, this is, this is not authentic. Like right. I thought it was. Yeah. And then, then I just thought, oh gosh, I don't want to do this. So how did you pivot from there? Because there's a lot of people and including myself, right? I've been guilty yeah. of this where we, you know, we may buy into something and then we realize we don't like it, but because we're so far into it, we just go for it anyway. Like how you pivoted from there. It's not like you're, you know, you're not a journalist today. So you right. pivoted. And I think that's incredible, right? Like I think people can really dissect something here. Yeah. Well, I didn't pivot, uh, beautifully, uh, or, or even healthfully. Uh, it, 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 sort of spun me into the beginning of anorexia. Uh, and there was, there were a lot other components to my eating disorder, but the, the, the beginning of it was the fact that I now graduating college, I've taken out a ton of loans. I have to pay it back. I don't have any money to go to college again and pursue a, a, you know, a different career path. And here I am graduating and I have a degree in something that I don't want to do. And that scared the crap out of me. And it made me feel very out of control of what was going to happen next. And so the beginning of starting to control food was really just me trying to assert control over something because I felt just like really scared and just kind of out of, out of place, out of shape, like, like so many do when you graduate college, whether you know what you're going to do or not. Right. It's a, uh, it's, it can be an unsettling time and nerve wracking time. You know, I, am I going to make it in the world? Can I pay for my rent? Can I, you know, can I live on my own? Can I, um, so, uh, that, that was, that, that was the beginning of, uh, severe control, food control and addiction. And that spiraled and for other reasons, uh, almost took my life. Mm. So it was not, it was not a, it was not a smooth transition from figuring out I, you know, I'm not going to be, I don't want to do what I thought I wanted to do. And so, you know, many years later I figured my life out, but yeah. Yeah. I I think, and first and foremost, thank you for the vulnerability again. Um, You know, people resonate with that more than anything. Uh, I don't think that every pivot is pretty, 
right? Uh, and I think that's why people are scared to actually pivot, you know? So you just keeping it real with us is, is so, so important. So I definitely appreciate that again. But talk to me about the eating disorder. Uh, I'm not the most educated person on eating disorders, so I'm not going to come off like I'm some expert whatsoever. Uh, I'm going to come I'm going to come to you like a student because that's what I am and that's why I host this podcast. So you said that the you know, the pivot was the start of that, right? Um, just talk to me about how you developed that eating disorder. Was it something that was already occurring or did it happen because of this event? No, it definitely started because of this event. And it, okay. it, was, it was literally just an assertion, uh, some kind of assertion of control over what felt like a very out of control existence and being in that in that space. Uh, sure. So it was just, it was very, um, it was baby steps in the beginning. And I just, I, where I didn't even notice it, so, such small baby steps, you know, control what's happening at dinner and then the next night control and have less and then continue to uh, control and manipulate my food choices. And it just felt good to have, it was like, okay, there's this one place in my life where I have some control that just felt good. Mm-hmm. Well, then it started to become a little bit addictive, having that kind of control, slightly euphoric as I started eating less and less and less, uh, there is a euphoric feeling that anorexics will describe when you are starving yourself. Um, so you get, you get a little high off of that as well. Uh, but at the end of the day, there were, you know, there was some, some deeper demons that I had inside of me and an eating disorder, which so many people don't write, don't know is, is, is just very similar to any other addiction where you're just acting out. It's, it's a way to act out on your inner pain. So mm-hmm. similar to alcoholism or drug addiction or sex addiction or, or anything that you just, you, you can't let go of and it starts to completely take over and rule your life. And it's your best friend and your worst enemy. All of those, um, you know, signature parts of the addictions that we understand better as a society, that's, that's an eating disorder. It's just a way to act out on, on inner struggles, inner pain, you know, inner, you know, frustrations. Right. So what did you do personally? And we don't need to go into crazy detail if, if you don't want to, but I'm just curious, like, how did you start to heal that pain? Because that's been an ongoing topic here on the show. Um, mm. It's actually something that I'm personally working on um, with a couple buddies of mine, because I think there's so many men out there that like are just suppressing. I suppressed for 27 years of my life. And then when I finally started to do some work, I was like, holy shit, I feel light. Like I felt so much lighter. Um, so I'm curious in your situation, like, how did you start to release that? Yeah, well, it, it, it was, you know, I was pretty sick for almost five years and it ended in uh, my, you know, kind of the jolt, like so many, uh, was a suicide attempt running out of the 76 freeway in, in Philadelphia. Obviously wasn't successful. And and after that, I uh, I had been in, in and out of therapy, in and out of outpatient and that kind of thing already, but never really you know, expecting to see any results and I not really totally wanting to let my eating disorder go either. So I, uh, long story short, I had moved out. I, I moved out to Los Angeles, uh, in, in this period of time where I was, I was still very sick, but I found a therapist there and really, you know, said, okay, I think I can 